Thank you for listening to the Following Films podcast, a movie podcast that takes you on a weekly journey into the world of cinema and the minds of the talented individuals who shape it. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today we're joined by screenwriter Dennis Powley, known for his work on horror films, specifically those directed by Stuart Gordon. He's written or co-written five of Gordon's films, including Reanimator and From Beyond. I had the pleasure of speaking with Dennis about his latest film, Suitable Flesh. The film stars Heather Graham, Barbara Crampton, and Bruce Davison, and it follows a psychiatrist who becomes obsessed with one of her young patients and later discovers they are linked to an ancient curse. But before we dive into our conversation with Dennis, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore, where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and so much more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and in the magic of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film, music, book collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. There's always something truly wonderful to discover. Have you followed the following films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, head on over to Spotify, search for following films and give us a follow. And as an extra incentive this week, the fine folks over at Universal had given us a couple digital codes for My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. To be entered for a chance to win, all you need to do is follow the following films podcast on Spotify and send me a screenshot. You can send the screenshot to my email address, which is chris at followingfilms.com, or you can DM me on Twitter, where my handle is at followingfilms. If you'd like to support the show by becoming a paid subscriber, you can go to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash following films slash support. And if for some reason you didn't catch that, you can always find the link in the show notes. Suitable flesh is everywhere you rent movies. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. I'm fine. How are you? I am so good. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I really do appreciate it. Um, the, the first thing I, I love about this story behind this film is the story of how a film comes into existence from the time it was written until it finally sees the uh, screen until we're actually witnessing it can be really unusual every time, but this one is highly unusual. Can you talk a little bit about when you first wrote this and uh, how it got to where we are today? Uh, I've always said that uh, every good film is a happy accident. (laughs) And there are so many accidents in the past, uh, in the history of this, of this film uh, that it's uh, that it's a, you know, it's, it's like a, a bad high, you know, it's like, it's like a bad highway uh, in LA. It's like, you know, it's like a bad day on the freeway. Uh, it's, this started, uh, to start with, the script when it was finally produced and, and, and made uh, and shot was uh, over 20 years old. Uh, the, the genesis was in the late, mid-late 90s. Uh, Stuart Gordon, my longtime collaborator and old friend, yeah. was uh, working on in Europe on a couple of our other movies on uh, Castle Freak, uh, which is a very loose adaptation of Lovecraft's The Outsider, yep. and Dagon, uh, which is a much closer adaptation of two of Lovecraft's stories, Dagon and uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth. Uh, and while he was working on that, he said, uh, you know, we should pick another story that we're going to do next. And we were both big fans of Lovecraft's story, The Thing on the Doorstep. 
Uh, it's one of his more narrative stories. It has more narrative structure. Uh, it tells more of its story than Lovecraft usually does. Usually Lovecraft is, I taught Gothic fiction. My day job was being an academic for 49 years mm -hmm. at, uh, Hunter College of the City University of New York. And one of the things I taught was Gothic fiction. And I taught it for a long time. And my take on Lovecraft is he's one of the great impressionists of American literature. He gives you the idea and you imagine it for yourself. He does the, the brush strokes, the little Surat dots that uh, you have to put together in your imagination, imagining the worst horror you can possibly imagine. Uh, and he lets you do that because he impresses upon you the idea of this fearful universe in which we all exist. Uh, that gives his uh, adapters, those of us who adapt his work, the responsibility, but also the freedom to do that imagining and to show that on screen. So we become the expressionists to Lovecraft's impressionist. We express that fear as imaginatively as we can on the screen. That was the core of our work for a couple of decades. Oh, so wow. uh, we took this story, which we liked very much, which had even more narrative structure than most of his stories. If you know From Beyond, our film From Beyond, yep. we tell that entire Lovecraft, based on Lovecraft story, we tell that entire story before the credits. The pre-credit sequence is the entire story. And the rest of the film is what we imagine happens from there. And Lovecraft lets you do that. Matter of fact, Lovecraft inspires you to do that. So uh, when we took on uh, the thing on the doorstep, uh, I Stewart said, go write it. Uh, while he was directing, I wrote. When he came back to America, the good old USA, I gave him the script. And uh, he, ha he was happy with it. Uh, he put on his producer's hat, took it around. It was optioned, didn't get made. Uh, it was, uh, we tweaked it. It was optioned again in the early 2000s. Uh, again, it didn't get made. About five years later, a couple of actors were interested in it. They optioned it. They couldn't get it made. And every time we got the same note back, this movie can't be made because, and I'll let you guess why. <laughs> so uh, the film ended, the script ended up in a drawer. Stuart would drag it out every once in a while. We'd blow the dust off of it and see if we could tweak it. But we really liked it. Uh, so it stayed in a drawer. And unfortunately, in the beginning of the pandemic, Stuart passed away. Right. Uh, and at a uh, Zoom memorial, a couple of Zoom memorials for Stuart, I reconnected with Barbara Crampton, who was uh, an actress, a wonderful actress, one of, the, one of our great scream queens uh, in, in a number of his films uh, and of our films together. And uh, we, she is now a producer. She's gone from being a very successful actress to a successful low-budget horror producer. And she said, do you have any scripts in the drawer? And I said, well, there's this one uh, that Stuart and I tried to get made. Uh, and she did a great job. She schlepped it. She took it around. She connected Joe Lynch to it. That pretty much assured that it would get made. He connected Heather Graham to it. Then it was a done deal. Yeah. Uh, it was going to get got made. Uh, Joe, it got, it, it got rewritten along the way. Joe had a 
couple of good ideas, one terrific idea that helped refresh the whole process. You know, when you work on a script for 25 years, you sort of dig your heels in sure. and it, you, know, you sort of, it narrows your vision. And Joe opened it up for me again. Joe had an idea that opened it up for me again, allowed me to re-see it, refresh it, uh, and bring it up all, you know, wet and shiny. And uh, it, it, it ended up being the, the film that you see. Uh, Joe, uh, once, once Heather was on uh, and Barbara joined the cast, uh, it was uh, definitely going to get made. Uh, you know, the the stars came together, which means that the money was raised. Uh, they were able to shoot it uh, right as the pandemic was ending. Uh, and it was able to and, and then it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival uh, here in New York. Uh, and the rest, we hope, is history starting on uh, October 27th when it will get a limited theatrical release, look for it in your neighborhood. If it shows on a big screen, see it on a big screen. You have to see some of Joe's chops. You have to see some of the things. Joe Lynch, uh, working with Stuart was great. Stuart was an artist when I met him in high school. He was mm -hmm. an art student. Stuart loved to show you. He painted on screen. His, his, his imagery is painting. Joe's imagery is very filmic. Joe knows the history of film, absolutely every trick and twist you can pull. And he doesn't pull any punches in this film in telling this story. He uses not, not every trick at his disposal, but every trick that has story value and tells and helps tell the story. And he has no fear. And it, uh, and it, and it works like a charm. He, well, this, uh, you know, big shout out to Joe. Well, this is certainly, uh, that's a word I would use to describe this film is fearless that considering yeah. our, some of the shifts we've had in the past 20 years with our sensibilities, there's a lot of things in this film that it, you hear this a lot now where people will say, you know, you couldn't make something like this today, that kind of thing that wouldn't happen. This does have a feeling where there's certain elements of this that were not necessarily commonplace at the time, but it feels like 20 years ago, a story like this would have been more readily made possibly, but this is uh, something that it, it's definitely out of step with current sensibilities. And it's actually something I really appreciate about it. Sure. You know, and the fact is, I want to give Lovecraft credit for this because yeah. it goes all the way back to Lovecraft, all that it's stuff true. that we're talking about. And I think we're talking about, you know, it's there's a subgenre of horror, which is mind and body, which is body swapping. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one is very much about mind swapping, but hold the phone. It's actually about gender swapping, which is crazier and uh, more controversial to this very day. But it was not not that it wasn't controversial back in Lovecraft's day. Lovecraft's Lovecraft, you know, I would give Lovecraft credit for being fearless, but what he really was was fearful and was honest to his fearfulness. Hmm. He wrote about what frightened him, and what frightened him was what attracted Stuart and I to his work originally. It's not just about us versus them. It's not about us versus some scary monster. It's not about us versus some, you know, awful invading aliens. It's about us becoming aware that we could be the monsters ourselves and the horror inherent in that. Uh, and, and all of Lovecraft's stories that we were interested in telling were about his fear for his own identity, which, if you know Lovecraft's history, was his fear of insanity running in his family. Yeah. And the idea is that somewhere back in your genetic past, there's a monster 
whether that monster is some horrific tentacled creature from beyond or from below, or whether that monster is some insane, crazy person in your past. And that could change your identity, that could reach in and steal your identity from you at any moment. Uh, and that is a sensibility. And Lovecraft's genius was his sensibility to be able to express that fear in his work. Then that fear doesn't go away. That fear is with us to this day. And you can see it in the uh, in the all the controversy that surrounds uh, gender and transgender and uh, uh, multi multigenders. Uh, I, identities yeah. uh, in our society today and the fears inherent in confronting those issues. And that goes all the way back to Lovecraft. So we we can take credit for uh, being brave, but Lovecraft gets credit for uh, uh, dragging that fear from deep in himself and putting it on the page, put it, making it public. Uh, and we we're just we're just the next in line. And it's one of the things that is, you touched on this before, but it's the, I think what makes Lovecraft work is when you're the idea of projection, that you can project your fears, your identity into this work. It's written in that way, but it's something when you discover Lovecraft the way I did through you and Stuart's work, which is how <laughs> I was turned on to it, where you have these really vivid um, personal interpretations of the work that it's, it's a big shift in gears that it takes a minute to get used to that writing because it is so subjective for the, yeah. it, it, it's very personal for him, but I think it becomes very subjective to the reader that if you go from, <laughs> if you go from castle freak um, and you go to Lovecraft, it, they, that is a, could not be more night and day. It's just the interpretation of it. And that's the blank space. That's what makes cosmic horror really work because it's the thing that's just beyond your reality that you can't see what is that hey it's cosmic yeah. you know i mean it's you know it's so big that there's room for all of us there yep. uh you know and you know we were we Stuart had been a uh, theater director before he was a film director and a lot of his work in the theater was he it was a, he had a very narrative theater uh uh Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the movie section as I often do. And I was so excited because one of my favorite things that happens when I go in there, I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see, something I've been meaning to see and there's a blind spot. And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years. But for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful cinematic achievement. I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it absolutely does justice to the novels, what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. 
uh, the cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot, takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it. And all the themes are still intact with love, jealousy, and the struggle between good and evil. That's all there. And it doesn't feel like a lesser than. It feels like a compliment to. Um, if you've read East of Eden and haven't seen the film, definitely catch up on it. Highly recommend it. If you've only seen the film and haven't read the book, definitely check out the book as well. It's worth your time. Uh, but in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled cow, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, it showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. And I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, this is a must watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember, next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. History. He was, his theater was a storytelling theater. It comes from the, it's, it, this is a very Chicago thing. Yeah. Uh, we were both kids, Chicago kids. Uh, and Chicago's famous for story, story theater was invented there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Stewart very much grew up with that. And it's what he wanted to do and did very successfully at in his years at the Organic Theater. Uh, and then when Brian Usna came along uh, and uh, made it possible for us to make movies, uh, it was, those were the movies that we were going to make. They were going to tell stories. And, and Lovecraft tells Lovecraft tells you to tell his story, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know, he's telling you, okay, you tell this story. You know, I, you know, if you could see what I saw, this, this horrific being, this, uh, this tentacle slipping out of sight, uh, this parade of these awful beings that, you know, that I might even be related to. If you could feel that, well, go ahead, feel free. See, you know, he's telling you do it. So we just did it. Uh, but yeah, I can see how if you're going backward, backwards through our lens to Lovecraft. But isn't that wonderful? Doesn't it open up another, you know, another another world? This is another way to tell stories. This is another. This is another way to horrify your. Uh, you know, we just didn't want to hold. You know, our films. Uh, when you look at them, yes, they're they're horror films. No question about it. No bones or m lots of bones. Uh, but uh, they're also, we hope, the kinds of movies that make you stand up and stand up and stomp on the floor. You know, I mean, they're not Lovecraft movies. I mean, they're not Lovecraft's 
They're not the movies Lovecraft might have made. Sure. I'm not sure he would. I'm not sure he wanted to see what his characters saw. Uh, he, but we do. We we do at some point. It's film. You got to show it. Uh, so you got to be brave. You don't. You. But if we, through our work, introduce people to Lovecraft at all, and Stu, and I'm just quoting Stuart Gordon here. Stuart said this himself. And if you if you look at, and I advise everybody to do this. Uh, Look at his memoir. His memoir is coming out uh, early in November. Uh, it's called Naked Theater and Uncensored Horror. Uh, and it's his autobiographical memoir from Fab Press in England. Watch for it. He talks wow. about that. He says, if we turn people on to Lovecraft, we're thrilled. We're, you know, that's, that's, that you couldn't make us happier than to let us know that that's the, that's the way it worked. And if you like Lovecraft, more than you liked us, uh, you know, that's fine too. Just don't stop liking they, us. In, in my mind, they, they don't exist in competition with one another. They, I, thank you. It, because thank it's you. these are two wildly different things. If you, I, I never really, in my experience, I've found moments where there's a bit of comedy in Lovecraft's work, but something yeah. like Reanimator, I never felt anything like that. And that was when I was a kid. That was the first thing that ever I saw the blending of horror and comedy really fit so well. It was almost Looney Tunes. It was so absurd how big it would go. <laughs> and I, you yeah. know, I saw it way too young. And it just it cracked my I, brain open in a wonderful couple way. Couple of things. One, uh, Stuart and I loved uh Looney Tunes. We loved the Warner yeah. Brothers, you know, the cartoons. We used to we used to keep books where we would write down the plots of all the cartoons. Uh we watched we watched there were they were on from four to four thirty. We'd run home from school and watch them. Uh <clears throat> The other thing is, it scares the hell out of me when I hear that people watched my movie when they were kids. Yeah, One, was... it means I'm old. Two, it means you were too young when you watched that movie. You know, we didn't we didn't make those movies for you. No. We made those movies for those who are, you know, to some degree, those are adult films. Yeah, Suitable Flesh is a very adult film. Uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, we, it's, it's right in that mode. And again, we were fearless there. Uh, we, 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 you know, if you're showing everything, you're showing everything. Well, I, I tend to think of art needs to be discovered by people that it wasn't intended for. Um, you need <laughs> to find things outside of your audience. And it's mm -hmm. just, when you're speaking to a very specific group of people and you're saying, okay, this is the people that I want to find this. I'm talking to these people. It's actually really important for people outside of that view to find it. And, you know, when you discover it, when I was, I know that these weren't created for me when I was a kid, but you come across them. And, you know, when I was 11 years old and I saw, you know, night of the living dead for the first time, that wasn't designed for me but it was something that I just really connected with. And then it just opened up all these other things, all these other avenues I started going down and you start reading books that you never would have read at that age yeah. and finding all this work. And you, even though there's things and elements and themes that you don't necessarily connect with, that's the wonderful thing about it. You revisit these things 10 years later and there's a depth to it. You never saw as a kid. Cause you were just, it was just the shock and awe. And then Abs later. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's one of the ways we grow up is finding what we connect to and going in that direction. Not something that school said is good. Not something yeah. that our parents said we could do. Not something that even the rest of our peers uh, dug and thought was cool. It's when you find that thing for you, boom, go, you know, and grab it and go. 
So uh, if, if, if at any point that was us, boy, we're thrilled because it happened to us. Stuart and I knew each other in high school. We met in high school and we were kids. And uh, we discovered that we had the same sense of humor and that we liked. Uh, but the other thing we discovered, we, he was an art student and I was a science and math student. And uh, but this, what we, where we met in the middle was horror films. We yeah. liked uh, we liked comedy. We liked uh, good old Chicago Second City satire sketch comedy. But we also loved horror films. And while we were good students, Stuart was a secretary of his graduating class, and I was an honor student. We used to cut class and go watch the, the newest Hammer film or the newest American International Poe adaptation. Yeah, you know, and those were our inspirations. Those were the ones we connected to that dragged us off into storytelling and Stuart, drag Stuart into theater and me off into film and literature. So, uh, yeah, I get, I get what you're talking about. Yeah. It's well, just, uh, I'm, I'm, it makes me feel old again because I'm, I'm a whole generation of film behind you. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm 47 now and I know we're out of time, but I gotta, I gotta leave you this one idea. It's that, um, I have a 13 year old son and I have, you know, thousands of movies that are sitting in my garage right now that I keep on a wall <laughs> and there's tons of stuff that I want him to discover but I don't want to be the person that guides him yeah. to it because that just yeah. feels wildly inappropriate. Uh, suitable I, flesh is one of those ones that I want him to discover eventually, but I cannot possibly be the person that shows it to him. So. <laughs> for the, that's for the reason that a number of producers would re refuse to make it. You know, that's you know, Understood. this was this was a, a contra this was a controversial story when it was written. It was a controversial script when it was written. It was it, it might be a controversial film now that it's out there, but I hope people enjoy it and they get up and stomp their feet. That's what I will. I, I, you you made something here that is gonna elicit a response. The people will not feel uh there will be no ambiguity and reactions to this. So <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's been true. That's been true of most of our work since yeah. we started. Well, yeah. Dennis, thank it was you, such a pleasure to much. meet you, Matt. <laughs> yeah, cool. Very cool. Glad I we appreciate did it. Thank you so much. Take care and good yeah. luck with the film. This is you got something special here. So thank I'm really, you so really much. Glad. Thank you. Good luck awesome. yourself. Take care. You Bye -bye. too. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
voice crack.